Duck down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Well, it would help if I turned the microphone on before I started talking, if you were watching the live feed. But anyway, coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Hello, everyone. How you doing out there? Hope you're all having a great day on this Monday, the 19th day of December. No, six days away from the big day, Christmas. And quite frankly, I feel like Christmas is being taken away from me. I feel like I'm getting one big old lump of coal for the big day by jolly old Saint Nick because of one thing, and that is, of course, the New York Jets. Now, on one end, I could sit here today and give a lot of credit to the Detroit Lions because they deserve respect. They deserve acknowledgement after the fact that they started off one in six and very easily could have given up on the season. But Dan Campbell, as I've mentioned many times on here, gets that team to play for him, has that team prepared week in, week out. But quite frankly, I don't give a damn what Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions do from here on out. Yesterday was the only time this year where I truly gave a damn about Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions because they were going up against the team I root for, the New York Jets. They were going up against the team that, quite frankly, is one of the angsts of my existence. Definitely the leading angst of my sports fandom. As I was telling somebody at the stadium yesterday, this drunken buffoon who was asking if I remember Rich Kotite. And I'm like, yeah, of course I remember Rich Kotite. He was the first head coach of my Jets fandom. He was the the coach of the 1-15 New York Jets, arguably the worst team in franchise history and one of the worst in NFL history. But as I'm standing there with hundreds and thousands of my fellow Jet fans yesterday watching this, I came in with a, a mindset of don't ruin my Christmas. I came in a, with a, a mindset of, hey, let's get off the snide, win after two winnable losses in Minnesota and Buffalo, take care of business at home. The problem is there was a bit of a curveball thrown in the mix here. And quite frankly, whether you're a Jet fan, 
whether you're a sports fan, whether you're just a living, breathing human being who doesn't give a damn about sports whatsoever, anybody with a working brain, anybody that has some semblance of intelligence could see what was coming yesterday, last Tuesday. Because there had been concern all week over what was going to happen at the starting quarterback position. And our worst nightmare came true. And that was the return of Zach Wilson. Now, I'm not going to sit here and make this all about Zach Wilson. But I will say this. As I said, you knew the second that he got elevated from the number three quarterback to the number two quarterback, elevated from just working with the scout team to being dressed on Sunday, there was a good chance he was going to play. With the unsurety of Mike White's uh, rib injury, you figured in all likelihood, if you're a conspiracy theorist or you're just believing the words of Robert Sala, Zach Wilson was going to step back on the field for the Jets. That's, you know, that's why I was not stunned. That's not, not surprised. I was disappointed when he made the announcement on Friday that oh, White was not cleared for contact. But I was not surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Mike White again this year when you look at the fact that he has three fractured ribs and is going to miss the next two weeks. Two weeks that, quite frankly, could end the Jets' playoff chances because they really needed a win yesterday. And it was right there in front of them. It was right there to be had. Not just getting a win, but getting back in control of their own destiny. They had gotten some of the breaks that they needed with the Dolphins losing on a last-second field goal to the Bills on Saturday night. Or the craziness that broke loose at the end of the Raiders-Patriots game that probably has every Patriots fan calling into all of the New England sports radio channels uh, today, flipping out, cursing out, all ticked off at Belichick, uh, Jacoby Myers, and the rest of uh, the New England Patriots. But even with all of that, the Jets had to take care of business for themselves. And like I said, it was not all on Zach Wilson yesterday's loss. There were moments. There were moments where you had hope. There were moments, and I'm not just talking about hope as far as winning. There were moments where you had hope as far as, hey, Zach is looking the part. Zach Looks like he's grown up a little bit here in this month-long timeout that he was on. You look at that first touchdown drive. You know, the, the off-schedule, off-scripted plays uh, where he's throwing on the run to Garrett Wilson. He's throwing on the run to C.J. Uzama uh, for a touchdown. Then later on, you know, more of the same thing. A deep shot to Wilson that set them up uh, for that 
fake out uh, after the touchdown was called back in which Uzama had his uh, second touchdown of the day. But even with all of that, all of the athleticism, see, listen, we know Zach Wilson can run with the football. We know he can throw on the run. That's part of what turned the Jets on to him when it came to his pro day is seeing him with the off-scripted plays. But you can't live and die playing like that. You can't live and die with what they call playing backyard football. Because, you know, this is the NFL. This is not playing at BYU, playing as an independent in college where you're facing a bunch of guys that are not going to be uh, playing on Sundays, where you're facing a whole bunch of guys that are moving on to real-world, real-life endeavors outside of the sports realm after their college careers are over. These are grown-ass men who are looking to hand you your own lunch. And still we see the same old crap from Zach Wilson where he can't stand in the pocket and you know stand upright, make the throw, always have to throw off his back foot. He's bouncing passes, including a screen pass to Braxton Berrios that bounced two feet in front of him, overthrew Elijah Moore on the final drive there. His decision-making as far as when to get rid of the ball, when to um, throw the ball, when to hit uh, tight spaces is completely off. That's why you see so many of these were oh, either overthrow a right wide receiver or it go off the receiver's hands because he realizes, oh, damn, I'm late on that play. I missed that, so I got to make up for it and throw it 100 miles an hour to get it to the guy. That's why they they talk about with Mike White. That's why they talk about it with Joe Flacco. And by they, I mean the, the receivers on this team, they throw catchable balls. They throw competitive passes to uh, these guys while Zach Wilson is just trying to live and die on arm talent alone. The one time he doesn't live and die on arm talent was on quite possibly the worst interception I've seen a Jets quarterback throw in a very long time. Now, the, the Jacobs interception early in the second half where He essentially just lobs it up there, thinking that Elijah Moore is going to stop for him, throwing across his body uh, once again, but had a better chance of just calling out the defender's number there. But, you know, I don't know where we go beyond Zach Wilson. I don't know how how we get past this, because clearly he's going to be the quarterback for not just this week, but for the remainder of the season. Now, I fully expect that now after this loss, that that Week 18 matchup against the Dolphins, it's not going to matter for a damn thing other than the Dolphins' postseason life. And there were some things that hurt the Jets other than Wilson's inconsistencies uh, yesterday. The fact that, you know, the defense, for the most part, 
played very, very well. Now that they gave up one touchdown and it was at the most inopportune time uh, late in the game when you, know, you have the lead uh, with two minutes to go. The Lions are down to one timeout. It's a fourth and one. And you get faked out by uh, Goff and by Brock Wright. Probably as slow a tight end as I've ever seen in my life. A, a little dump off pass to the left that he takes 51 yards back to the house, leaving MetLife Stadium stunned and shocked. But you know that you know the, up until that point, the Jet defense had played great. They were holding uh, the, the Lions to field goals. They got to that goal line stop on the first drive of the game to end a 14-play, eight-minute drive, in which at that point you're, you're thinking that, damn, out of the gates, the, uh, they're uh, using a lot of the gas in the tank. And they're doing this without their probably the best player on this team. I, I don't think there's any denying as great as Garrett Wilson has played here in his rookie year, as excited as we are about soft Gardner, as good as Brees Hall looked earlier this year. Quentin Williams is the best player on the New York Jets. He's an unstoppable force on that defensive line. But the Lions, I was actually surprised the Lions did not take more advantage of him not being there because, you know, when they would run the ball up the middle with uh, Swift, they were getting you know at least five six yards a carry there. I th- figured you know the fact that it was a one score game there, they would have tried to milk the clock and put a little more pressure on Zach Wilson uh, to uh, try to beat them. But you know even beyond all that, th- this felt. This, for the first time this year, this kind of felt like those old Rex Ryan defenses where they would dominate the game for about 55, 56 minutes and then the final five minutes have a gag against a, a quality opponent that left you sitting there frustrated, annoyed. But even more so than that, what had me annoyed was Robert Sala's lack of clock control late in this game. Even after the Lions uh, touchdown, even after Wright tries to break MetLife Stadium's heart, there was still enough time for the Jets to come down the field, score, and win this game. Jets had three timeouts. Go out there, give them the best shot. But after the first sack on Wilson in that final drive, which once again showed his lack of awareness, getting sacked twice on that final drive, Salah lets 23 seconds roll off the game clock. Then you get the incredible third and 19 catch uh, by Garrett Wilson. Another 22 seconds roll off the clock. Still no timeouts being used. I don't don't know whether he thinks they carry over to playing Jacksonville on Thursday. But clearly it, it, it set the Jets in such a bad position that you were lucky Elijah Moore Fell to the ground when he did on that final play, just so that you would at least have a slimmer of a hope, slimmer of a chance at tying the game up and going to overtime. 
but Zerline misses a 58-yard uh, field goal at the buzzer. It, it shouldn't have come down to that because, as I said, you gave up 45 seconds of game clock and you had three timeouts left. Use your timeouts. Use them. All right. That would have taken some pressure off here. Maybe you could have gotten a few more yards. Hell, maybe you could have even tried to score a game-winning touchdown rather than settling for a field goal and going into the crapshoot that is NFL overtime. And all the way around, it was just an annoying, frustrating day for Jet fans like myself. Third consecutive loss, and I don't want to hear about moral victories. I don't want to hear about cute stories. I don't want to hear about, oh, the... This is not being same old Jets. You know when they're not same old Jets? When they can handle success, handle prosperity, and actually make the playoffs. And going into this last three-week stretch, they had their fate. They had control of their own fate. And each one of these games was winnable. But that's all gone away. They should have won at least one of the games between Minnesota and Buffalo. And they damn sure, even without Quinn and Williams, should have beaten the Detroit Lions yesterday. But they gagged it up late in this game. And now with three games left to go, one at home in a torrential downpour all likelihood against the Jaguars this coming uh, Thursday for matchups to start the new year against Seattle and Miami to close the season out. How can you feel good about this as a Jet fan? How can you, uh, I'd love to know how anyone can spread even one spin of positivity on any of this. Because quite frankly, as I said earlier, and I said in a Facebook video I posted Yesterday, all I want for Christmas is one thing. No, one simple thing. For weeks, my family has been bothering me and annoying me, wondering what I want for Christmas. And in the last week, I've given them a few things, nothing major, nothing earth-shattering. You know, a jersey and a couple of t-shirts, that's it. But other than good health and safety Going into this next year for my mom, my siblings, my friends, whether it's close friends or friends that I haven't seen in a while but still remain in somewhat contact with. Other than all that, all I want is one thing, and that's the Jets ending their 11-year playoff drought. And in all likelihood, that's not going to happen now. We're looking at a 12th consecutive year of the New York Jets missing the postseason. Something that no one else in the NFL is even within ballpark's reach of. All right, a lot left to get to over the next, whatever, 40, 45 minutes, however long I choose to talk for today. Hopefully I've got more of a positive vibe uh, as we go along here, when got to talk about some of these 
insane finishes that went on in the league over this weekend, uh, mixing some NBA injuries, MLB news as well. Of course, talk about the Giants a little bit later on as well. So a lot to get to over the next, what, we'll say 45 minutes or so here. Thank you for joining me this week. And at this time, as I tell you each and every single week, sit back, relax, help, put your feet up on the table if you feel like it, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. I'm thankful for two very important things. A, that I've saved up my personal time at work, and B, that in all likelihood, this was the last weekend of Amazon's peak season, and I won't be required to work on both Saturdays and Sundays for a while, because there was a whole lot going on in the NFL across this weekend as we're late in the season and NFL games are taking place on Saturday. I almost missed all of the craziness. Forgot what I was doing at the time, but uh, we had a, a little bit of stoppage in uh, our work, some jam or something at Amazon. And I'm looking at Facebook and I see the Minnesota Vikings are trailing the Indianapolis Colts 33-0 at halftime. I'm going through this and I'm like, damn, the Vikings are a bunch of frauds losing to a team that's coached by an analyst, uh, a team that's quarterback is uh, already looking toward his end-of-season retirement that has no shot of going to the postseason. And, and whose fan base um, in the Vikings is always screaming, hey, give us our respect, give us our due. And like, wow, the game was at 1 o'clock. Did Kirk Cousins forget that or something? But the, the second half of this game was as insane as we're going to ever see in a regular season. And listen, you're not going to be able to do this against a good team. That's why I have very little faith in the Vikings in the NFC. That's why uh, I've very rarely mentioned them as that team that could upset the Eagles. A, because they've already lost to the Eagles this year. And B, can you really trust them? You want to talk about them uh you know, making the comeback, but look look at all these mistakes that they're making against a bad team. Get a, a punt blocked and return for a touchdown. Dalvin Cook uh, fumbles it, uh, the ball within the Colts territory, and the Colts drive down, uh, take an early 17-0 lead. They get stopped on three consecutive uh, fourth down attempts in uh, the first half, you get a pick six. I mean, like th this team 
is playing down to its competition, doesn't seem to be able to rise to the occasion uh, when you need them to. Now, yeah, second half, their offense got a spark. Their offense came alive. And Dalvin Cook made up for his early uh, blunder by getting the game-tying 64-yard touchdown. But it shouldn't have come down to having to go to overtime and overcome one of the, if not the largest deficit in NFL history against a team that was 4 Eight and one coming into this game. And you realize now with this loss, this blown lead, Matt Ryan has been part of, as we know, the largest blown lead in the Super Bowl history with the the Falcons 28-3 loss to the Patriots in Super Bowl 51. He was part of the largest blown lead in a conference title game with them blowing a 17-0 lead against the Niners in 2013. Largest blown lead in an international game uh, in 2014, uh, having a 21-0 lead over the Detroit Lions and losing 22-21. And now the largest blown lead for a regular season game here in the United States just unbelievable but even with that we had crazy finishes all over the place I mean you get a walk-off field goal uh, at the end of Buffalo and Miami on Saturday night then Sunday afternoon I don't know whether they were so focused on the Eagles whether Micah Parsons was waiting for his next appearance on Von Miller's podcast what Whatever it was, whether Jerry Jones was giving the boys um, refreshments on the sidelines in the third quarter, how do you blow that lead against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars? Now, listen, the Jaguars are better than their record is, kind of like the Detroit Lions. They've gotten on a bit of a run here, and Trevor Lawrence is starting to show, yeah, this is why I was the first overall pick that four-fumble game in Philly was a fluke. And while he had uh, some bad turnovers in his own right in still in this game, the the fumble late in the, in the fourth, he picked the Cowboys defense apart after uh, they took that 27 to 10 lead. Him and Zay Jones really dragged the Jaguars kicking and screaming right back into this game and some of the problems here are, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, with how easy it seems to be to score in this league for them to crawl within 10 and get a touchdown there. But Dak Prescott helped create momentum here for the the Jaguars. With that second and 18 interception he threw to Rayshon Jenkins, that seemed to wake the Jaguars up, seemed to revitalize them. Then you, you I talked about the Lawrence uh, fumble there. Even after you retook the lead, after you know the you guys were jockeying back and forth in that fourth quarter, you've got a first down w- with a minute and a half to go in this game, and rather than three straight runs, 
You decide to get cute on third down. Kellen Moore calls for Dak to dr drop back and throw and throws an incomplete pass, allowing the Jaguars to save their final timeout. I mean, things like that, stupidity like that is another reason why Dallas, their season's going to come to an end in very short order. Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs, but a game like this, you're already looking ahead to the Eagles. While the Eagles were only concentrated on the Bears yesterday. And yes, you know, Jalen Hurts struggled early on. Threw a couple of uh, bad interceptions in the uh, first half on uh, deep balls. But once they got their ground game going, he carried them right past uh, the Chicago Bears. Literally. And, you know has his team not just in a position next week to clinch the NFC East, but clinch uh, the number one overall seed in the NFC. And Dallas, well, e the Eagles are able to concentrate on the moment, able to concentrate on the task at hand in front of them. Dallas, it always feels like they're looking ahead, looking ahead to the next week or next month, more concentrated on things that haven't happened yet rather than just, under, as I said, understand the moment and take care of the task at hand. I mean, you look at just last week, 16 and a half point favorite against the Texans and it took them to the final minute to just survive the Texans. Now, the Texans are starting to show people the last couple of weeks, hey, Vegas, you know, stop making us double-digit underdogs. Like yesterday, they gave uh, Kansas City a, a bit of a scare, a little bit of a run for their own money. But still, you can't. You just can't trust the Dallas Cowboys. But even as wild as those finishes were, even as wild as the Vikings coming back from 33-0 or the Cowboys choking away a 17-point third-quarter lead and Dak throwing a, a pick-six to end it in overtime. Now, the, the I mean, I, I still cannot figure out how what I saw from the Las Vegas Raiders yesterday was possible. Whether it's just being lucky or the fact that the Patriots have forgotten situational football. They used to be, as much as we hate them, we would always give Belichick credit that he would have his teams prepared for every situation, would have them prepared for every possible moment and every situation in a game. Well, you've got a tie score at the end of this game. It, you know, bouncing back and forth after you know, Derek Carr threw a pick six early in the third quarter that seemed to wake the uh, Patriots up when they were doing nothing offensively all day. Mac Jones uh, is still taking steps backwards, and that's because he has a defensive coach as his offensive coordinator. But you have a tie game here looking like it's going to go to overtime after a 
crazy touchdown catch by Keelan Cole that replay is still unsure whether he caught it inbounds or not. You figure, all right, just run out the clock, play for overtime. I mean, that that was clear on the play here uh, when they give the ball to Stevenson and he runs up the middle, gets a big chunk of yardage there. But the Patriots played that final play like they were trailing by a touchdown, like they were trailing by three points and looking to either tie it and send it to overtime or win the game on that play. And you get Jacoby Myers on the hook and lateral play after he gets the ball tossed to him by Stevenson. Throw the ball backwards across the field in the direction of Mac Jones. And instead, Chandler Jones picks it off and runs over Mac Jones in the process to take it back to the house for the game-winning touchdown. I'm like, holy, you know what? I'm like, the, the, you know, we talk about it. Like, I thought I saw it all in sports. That is, you know, the, right up there in the we've seen it all category now because we've never seen on the the hook and ladder. You know, we've seen some crazy fumbles where the ball will bounce around on the ground, but we've never seen one team essentially throw the football to the opposition on the hook and lateral and lead to a walk-off touchdown. And Mac Jones, unfortunately for him, he is going to be a meme or a gif or whatever we call these things these days. Maybe he'll be on a trading card somewhere. He's going to be whatever screensaver you want to refer to it as for the rest of his damn life now after how he just got Mack truck run over, pun unintended, by Chandler Jones on that final play. Uh, unbelievable. And clearly Fox does not listen to me with what they do. Fox, CBS, whoever had the game yesterday because – I yelled about this last week, enough of the Buccaneers being in the 425 game slot. Well, once again, we were uh, witness to them being in the 425 slot. And as well as the first half went for them, Brady marching down the field a couple of times. The The second half turned into a complete crap show. The second half turned into... That idea of why the NFC South as a whole should be eliminated from NFL playoff contention. Should be eliminated from being on our television sets for the rest of the year. We should have them preempted. I don't care if you put some other sport on. If you, Hell, if you just stick with your regularly scheduled programming that day. Because... And as much as you want to give the Bengals credit for coming back down two touchdowns in the second half, most of this was because Tom Brady was turning the ball over left and right. Four consecutive drives where he turned the ball over in Tampa Bay territory and sandwiched in between each one of those turnovers was a touchdown by the Bengals. 
And it was an important win in the case of the Bengals because with the Ravens' ineptitude offensively uh, the day prior, they were able to take a one-game lead in the AFC North battle. But now it's put us as fans in an uncomfortable, disgusting-to-look-at situation. The fact that the Buccaneers are 6-8, and eight, leading the NFC South, and that division is still up for grabs. We have, with the fact that the Panthers, Falcons, and Saints are 5-9 and nine, after the Panthers lost to the Steelers yesterday and the Saints and Falcons allegedly playing a game against each other yesterday. Allegedly, I'm sure that game got no rating whatsoever. Those three teams at 5-9 and nine are still alive to win the division. That means we have the real possibility of a team that's 7-10 and 10 hosting a playoff game. And en enough. I've had enough of, uh, as great as Tom Brady's career has been, no, I, I've had enough of seeing him. I've had enough of seeing uh, the Buccaneers. I've had enough of seeing the NFC South in general. And you know what is going to really disgust us? In about, oh, three weeks, whenever the first round of the playoffs taking place, the weekend of January 14th and 15th, whoever wins that division, I'm telling you right now, they're going to win a playoff game. You know why I think that? Because in all likelihood, they're going to host the Dallas Cowboys. And we know the Dallas Cowboys are allergic to prosperity. They're allergic to success. So you're going to have... America's team going up against the NFL's most disgusting-to-look-at division. Oh, how much fun. Got to take another break here, but come back on the other side and, you know, turn my attention to some other things that went on this uh, week in both the NBA and in Major League Baseball. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Don't look now, folks, but both of the basketball teams in our area, our area meaning New York City, starting to play some pretty good ball with, with the Knicks winning seven in a row and the Nets winning six in a row. And I know this is a statement that not many people like hearing at times, but if the season were to end today, both the Nets and Knicks would not just be in the playoffs, but they would be avoiding the play-in tournament. They would both be top six teams. I mean, you look at the Nets, about a month ago at this time, I was ready to just blow the entire thing up. I was ready to just say, end this. No, end the nonsense, end the chicanery, the, the walking reality show that this team is with everything that was going on with Kyrie Irving, the fact that... Ben Simmons was missing every other game and that Kevin Durant is doing interviews with Bleacher Report, um, ripping his teammates. Like, enough nonsense. Let's just go into a rebuild. 
But since Kyrie Irving came back and Ben Simmons is actually acting like he wants to play basketball, this team's gotten on a bit of a run here. Won 13 of their uh, last 16 games, has won six in a row. Now, to be fair, they've not beaten anybody exactly earth-shattering there. I mean, both Atlanta and Indiana, who they've beaten, and Toronto would all be in the play-in tournament situation right now. But each of those teams has been inconsistent. None of those teams has been considered a true threat. You want to see what they do against upper-tier, top-level competition that they could see in that first round or if they are so lucky to get by it, even the second round of the NBA playoffs. And are going to have that opportunity this week, or at least we thought this week, you know, when they go up against the Warriors on Wednesday and then the Bucks on Friday, but with the Warriors, you know, they've been dealing with some injuries as of late, none more so than losing Steph Curry now for a month. And that's going to be something to pay attention to, something to keep your eye on. And listen, I know the Warriors have not played well. They have been awful on the road here. And if the playoffs were start today, they would uh, miss the postseason. I don't think that's exactly going to happen. I don't think this is going to be a long-term thing with Curry being out. But while he's out, you're going to need you know, Jordan Poole to step things up. You're going to need Klay Thompson to show that he is completely over the injury issues that he's had the last couple of months. Hell, you're going to need some of these young guys like Wiseman and Kaminga who have seemingly been in and out of the Warriors' rotation this year to grow the hell up and take that next step. And, you know, no one's going to... That's why I say no one's going to fill the void left by Steph Curry these next couple of weeks by themselves. But you're going to need someone to pick up a chunk of that or, you know, a group effort here along the way. Have the offense led by Klay Thompson and led by by Draymond Green and company. But you know, the, you know, as a group, they're gonna have to you know work around this and hope that Steph is back in a relatively short order. A, a couple of weeks without the best shooter on the planet is fine. You don't want this turning into a situation where we're still here in the month of February and wondering, hmm, when is Steph coming back? But that's that's not even the injury that we really should be truly concerned about and a look, look at the Lakers now Lakers were on a bit of a run there after their two and ten start had started to have the makings of a team that okay they could get back in the mix for a playoff spot but now they're going to be without Anthony Davis for likely a month and the reason I'm cons- more so concerned with that than I am with the Steph Curry injury is because Steph Curry's injury 
is a shoulder injury. This is not a reoccurrence of the foot and ankle problems that he had early in his career. This is not a knee problem. This is not something that he needs surgery for. And Steph has shown to be a relatively quick healer. Anthony Davis, for as great as he is, as talented as he is, when he's on the court, he's one of the best 10 players in the sport. But that's the biggest problem with Anthony Davis. His availability at times is his worst ability. And we're at this point in Anthony Davis's career where he should be the lead guy on the Lakers. It, as great as LeBron James still is, as, as much as he still can step up and show that he's capable of being the best player on the planet uh, on any given night. He should not be carrying the full workload, the full, you know, the the hope and faith on of the Los Angeles Lakers on his back. I mean, we're talking about a team that is the second worst three-point shooting team in the league. And I, I know they've, you know, got some cute stories on that team like Austin Reeves. You've got a Russell Westbrook to seemingly transition to a bench role without it being a major issue, without it just completely blowing up that locker room, blowing up that team. But Anthony Davis, missing him, not just uh, what he does in the paint, but his ability as a big man to shoot from outside, that is a humongous loss for this team at a time where, you know, there's still three games under and uh, still you know, a game and a half back in potential for a playoff spot. And you worry about this because Anthony Davis always seems like he's hurt. Anthony Davis is as brittle a big man as I've seen. And anytime, you know, you almost wish that the Lakers wouldn't have listed a time as far as when he comes back because you can list it as a few weeks. You can list it as a month. People, we're not going to see him for six weeks, at least, at least. Because whenever he gets hurt, you take the long end. You take uh, the, the, the belief that, oh, we are not going to see this guy for a while. So, uh, no, Anthony Davis, I just... No, I don't know what the Lakers are going to do as far as filling his void because I worry that they're going to just completely burn out LeBron James. Remember, we're talking about a guy who is, you know, what, 38, 39 years old in his 20th season in this sport. And even as great as he is, you can't ask him to carry the full burden for a team anymore because we've seen it the last couple of years. He he wants to, he has the willpower, he has the mindset to do it, but as great a shape as he is in, his body is saying, no, you need nights off and you need minutes off. And really no one can complain for that. It's up for Anthony Davis to come back and take that burden 
off of LeBron James. Now, in Major League Baseball, we're still in the midst of free agency. I mean, it's December. We're two months away from spring training getting started, from pitchers and catchers reporting. And this is one of those times where, quite frankly, I hate Twitter. I hate social media, and I hate my fellow Yankee fans on social media. Because as passionate as I am of a Yankee fan, I, I, I always talk about with my sports teams, I refer to the Yankees as the favorite child, the favorite son. Sometimes my fellow Yankee fans on social media, especially the young ones, drive me absolutely insane with the way that they act, overreact, and just flip the hell out. Because ever since the moment that Aaron Judge re-signed, you know, there was that celebration of, yeah, our guy is going to be a Yankee for life. But immediately, you know, within hours later, you have the fan base clamoring for what's next, screaming, Oh, why isn't Brian Cashman doing anything? Hal Steinbrenner's not sticking to his word. He told Judge that there was going to be more money to spend on free agency. People, it's December 19th. Okay, if it was February 19th, pitchers and catchers had reported and we were on the verge of going into the season with the same roster that ended last season, you would have a gripe to have. You have no kick coming here. You have no reason to be whining and complaining or screaming about how the Yankees are spending their money. They just gave $360 million to the reigning, defending American League MVP. And free agency in Major League Baseball I don't know if you guys forgot about this. I don't know if you know what happened last year warped your mind and changed the way you act uh, about baseball free agency. You know, with how so many teams and players were locking into agreements before the lockout took place. I mean, you had Max Scherzer signing weeks before we ever could have thought he was signing. And then when the lockout ended, there was a free agent frenzy with Correa, Freeman, Rizzo, amongst others, making sure that they got signed and and got into spring training with enough time to prepare for the regular season. But this is not the NBA. This is not the NFL. This is not the NHL where you have a salary cap. These players and these teams take their time and wait things out to make deals in Major League Baseball. They don't just make deals because you want them to make a deal. They don't just jump at having a deal done because, oh, you're saying, why haven't we done something recently? It takes time. You know, sometimes you see free agents lasting into the new year because they know there's going to be that money out there. They know that in all likelihood, there's going to be that one crazy owner that gets desperate. You know, you have these Yankee fans that are saying, oh, they're so dead set on uh, 
these shortstops, Volpe and Peraza, they they better be right. They're passing up on the likes of Correa, Swanson. They're letting Swanson sign with the Cubs for $170 million. They're letting Correa sign with the Giants for $350 million. They had the chance to sign Correa last year, didn't sign him. They weren't going to add a 13-year contract on top of just giving Judge $360 million. That's not smart business. There's only so many $30 million contracts you can have on a team before even the richest owner is looking and saying, enough. I hope they made you happy. I hope that they... Gave you something to smile about last Wednesday when they made the deal with Carlos Rodon and added a powerful lefty to uh, this rotation that now not just gives you a good top of the rotation, but you look at that one through four in the rotation, and yes, health is a big key. But one through four, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, you can flip-flop them either any order that you want. Those guys are healthy. Those guys can make a combined, you know, 120 starts amongst them, 125 starts amongst them. That's a damn good one through four in a rotation. The only true weak link that you worry about is their fifth starter, Frankie Montas, but no one's running out their five all-stars in, in their rotation. Now, yeah, you still got to see how Severino does in his walk year if he can stay healthy for the full season. Still got to see if Nestor Cortez can make 30 starts and pitch 200 innings. There's not much to really be complaining about with that one through four. Yet, it has Rodon had some injuries in his past? Shoulder surgery in 2017, Tommy John in 2019. Yeah, those are in his past, but you you hope that he's past those things. You hope that you know, now in his 30s, we see once pitchers figure themselves out, figure their true strengths out as they get older, they're less likely to have... Uh, these injuries. They, it's weird. You see so many of these pitchers break down in their 20s, but then when they get in their 30s, they have a clean bill of health when it, when it comes to you know major surgeries. That's why you saw Verlander avoid Tommy John surgery for years, didn't get it until his uh, late 30s, almost 40. So hopefully he's by those things. And no, he seems like a tough guy. He seems like a tenacious competitor. He, he seems like the kind of guy that Garrett Cole will look at as his number two, and that will bring out, you know, a competitive spirit amongst them. And you, you like that. You like having friendly competition amongst teammates. But this, this nonsense, the whining and complaining that I've seen my fellow Yankee fans doing this last couple of weeks on social media. It needs to freaking stop. Whether it's it means Twitter exploded and you know Elon Musk completely destroyed it, or Yankee fans are finally 
satisfied and ready to go into the 2023 season of Ships Ahoy and give it their best crack at title number 28. And like I said, they don't make deals on your schedule. They weren't going to sign Correa. They weren't going to sign Swanson. They weren't going to sign Trey Turner. They weren't going to sign Xander Bogarts. They're going with these kids in the infield. Like it or not, just got to deal with it. So stop all the bitching and moaning on Twitter. Going to take one last break here. Come back, close things out for this Monday. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. I like to be fully transparent on this podcast. Give brutal honesty at times when it comes to the teams I root for and just always give you guys honest takes no matter what the topic may be. You know, especially when it comes to things, you know, such as athletes standing up for social justice issues. And I've gotten questions from friends, from family members, asking me, have I talked about the World Cup on this podcast? Have I, or people that have listened to this podcast, friends that have listened, asking why I haven't talked about the World Cup. And listen, I'm aware of the final outcome. I'm aware that, no, Argentina beat France yesterday, and no, Lionel Messi finally got his World Cup title, something he's been seeking after for a long time. But I'm not, I've never been a soccer guy. I've never been someone that can get into this. And I try not to be that guy when it comes to the World Cup when it comes to soccer because while it's not one of the four major sports it's something that people care about it's something that even non-sports fans non you know regular soccer fans get into each and every year and point in case I'm I'm in the break room at work and every single day for the last three weeks the World Cup, whatever game was on at that time, has been airing in our break room. And I'll see tables where there's 10 to 12 people, all of different nationalities, all of uh, different you know, rooting interests, sitting together with their eyes locked in on whatever game is being played at that time. Even if they have no dog in the fight, ooing and eyeing and all locked in on it. And, you know, I'll try, I try, I honestly try, but I, soccer, I don't know whether it's the rules to it 
they'll like not understanding why the I'll never understand why the clock can't stop when the ball goes out of bounds or some of the ridiculousness behind the extra time that seems like it's just made up as it goes along but I really can't get invested in it. I really can't get locked in. Some something about it, but I don't know if it's there's not a lot of scoring in soccer or what it is. But it's never been something that I you know I played it recreationally when I was a kid and I enjoyed it. But something about watching it, it it just it does not excite me. And if it does for you, that's cool. That's awesome. Listen, we're all allowed to like what we want. We are all allowed to dislike what we want. Oh, remember, next to sports, my second favorite thing to watch on TV is professional wrestling. The WWE, as we all know, that's scripted. That's not real. But I still, I've enjoyed that since I was 10 years old. And while I don't have any friends that watch it or are really interested in it other than my brother and a friend up in Boston. I've never let that ruin my interest in it. So while I may not talk about it on here, while I may not have a rooting interest in it, I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope that all of you out there that got locked in on this worldwide phenomenon, even as disgusting as a country as Qatar is for these uh, last, what, three or four weeks. I hope you guys really enjoyed it and hope that, you know, if there are any haters out there when it comes to this, didn't let that get you down in your spirits. Now, I'll tell you who did not have their spirits ruined, and that is the other team, the co-tenant of MetLife Stadium, the New York Giants, because the Giants started off as a cute story this season. And then with all the injuries that they've had, started to slowly fade apart, started to get to a point where you're looking at it and saying, oh, is their season about to collapse? Is their season about to uh, go to complete hell with the fact that they were 6-1, and one, then have had injuries up and down their wide receiver core. Opposing defenses are starting to lock in at, on slowing down Saquon Barkley and making Daniel Jones and a bunch of guys that are dragged, kicking and screaming off a practice squad to fill out their wide receiver depth chart along with Darius Slayton. Uh, is this about to... Go from cute story to a failed what-could-have-been situation. Well, the Giants, I think the Giants have gotten themselves off at that snide. After going 1-4-1 you know, in their last six games, last night was a very important victory for them against the Washington Commanders. First of all, because they were tied in the standings coming into that game. Secondly, because you have teams like the Lions who went to MetLife and won for the second time uh, this year. Congratulations, Billy August. Um, and the Seahawks, who have slowly but surely faded away 
after their 6-3 and three start, still breathing down their necks a half game back in playoff spots. So while a loss wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, you still you needed to not just see the Giants come back and play well, but you needed to somewhat get off that uneasiness of feeling that, oh, we're going to blow a postseason opportunity. And in all facets of the game last night, the Giants won and survived against the Commanders. And you had really the four pillars of this team all at times show themselves, show that, hey, we we have a right to remain confident in them. I mean, Barkley all the way around had a great game including the the touchdown at the end of that long drive in the second quarter in which he took the direct snap on. But remember, that would not have happened if Brian Dayball didn't show, you know, whether it's moxie, guts, or it's confidence in his quarterback, didn't show the confidence in going for a fourth down at midfield to continue that drive. Didn't show the confidence in Daniel Jones saying, to hell with it. Yeah, we're in the lead here, but we're not going to just play this game of of field position here. We want to win this game. Let's go for it on fourth down. And he rewarded his confidence there. He rewarded, especially knowing, looking on the other side, Washington Washington was able to move the, the football up and down the field. The problem there is, Taylor Heineke turned the ball over too much, and he had that Giants pass rush in his grill to cause both of those turnovers. Whether you you want to talk about the the Kevon Thibodeau uh, forced fumble on his sack and recovering it for a touchdown in the second quarter, or late in the game, when they're driving down there within the goal line and Dexter Lawrence causes a fumble there to keep uh, Washington out of the end zone there and give the Giants a sense of, hey, we can lock down this game. We can win this game. Now, let's be fair here, people. And I think every Giant fan out there, every no matter how uh, – true blue diehard fan you are out there we would be doing this a disservice if we weren't being honest and saying you got a little bit of help from the referees here washington while there's always the hey you never know what happens scenario got screwed a little bit because while you get the amazing play by Thibodeau that blocked Taylor Heineke from scrambling into the end zone, stopped him at, at the goal line there. You had back-to-back plays in which Washington had their chance at either tying this game and forcing overtime or even potentially winning the game in overtime taken away from them. Whether it was the Brian Robinson touchdown that was negated due to an illegal formation penalty uh, called against Terry McLaurin, which, like, you want to talk about whether the fix is in 
or just screwing with a team. Terry McLaurin is literally looking over at the referee, asking him, hey, am I good or am I too far back? Do I got to move up closer to the line of scrimmage? He moves up a foot and the referee gives him a thumbs up saying, you're good. Go ahead. Play gets called. He goes in motion. And as soon as the play is done, referee throws a flag calling illegal formation against McLaurin, nullifying uh, the the potential game-tying touchdown there. That, like, how, if you're an official, are you going to look at the receiver and tell him, you're good, you're within the, the, the guidelines of how close you got to be to the line of scrimmage as the slot receiver, and then you're the same one that throws the flag against them. I mean, McLaurin, like I said, literally looks over at the official, gets the okay, and then has a flag thrown against him. He was flat out lied to and deceived by this official. But then two plays later, they still have a shot at winning this game. Fourth and goal, and you know Heineke gets a pass off to Curtis Samuel, in which he was quite frankly, mugged in the uh, end zone by Darnay Holmes. And no flag on that. Now, that's a little bit more understandable. We see pass interferences, penalties missed in this league all the time. But the, the penalty on the third and goal there is inexcusable by that official. And that's you know, why I talk about it in sports. Why don't we... The referees... In all of these sports, like to act like they're the third team on the field. Why don't we hold them accountable? Why don't? Why is it always oh just the fans and the media that calls them out on their BS? Why don't? Why doesn't these leagues call them out on their BS and make it public? You know, have them answer questions after the game, not just to one field reporter, but. Talk in front of the media. What did you, you see on th- that moment of controversy? One of the things I've always respected, we remember the uh, what should have been a perfect game by Armando Galarraga about a decade ago. One of the things I've always respected is that Jim Joyce sought out the media after the game in tears, talking about how he screwed that kid out of that. He you know, royally screwed that moment up for him. When you have moments of controversy like that in these leagues, especially the NFL, we need to hear from these guys. But at the same time, while you're honest about that, don't let it take away from the positive vibes today, Giant fans. Don't let it take away from the fact that right now, I think you've gotten yourselves off the snide. That win has shown that you know you now have a, a game, about a two-game lead in the the loss column again over the Seahawks with three games to uh, go. You could realistically only win one more game and still make the playoffs as a wild card team because. Seattle, Detroit, and Washington would all probably have to win out to completely knock you out of playoff contention. 
And I don't think that's going to happen with the fact that the Commanders got the 49ers uh, next week. And, you know, the, the, the Lions, you know, while they've been playing great football, at some point you wonder, does that hot streak, does somebody take them seriously that they have remaining on their, their schedule and knock them off uh, their roll? But if you're a Giant fan, unlike me and my fellow Jeff fans, you got to feel good today. You got to feel that, hey, we're going to have a positive Christmas. We have a quarterback that's not making mistakes unlike the past. A running back that looks like he's worth locking up to a long-term deal. And a coach that is aware of his surroundings and putting us in the best possible position to succeed. A lot more than I could say about my team, the New York Jets, who in all likelihood have ruined Christmas for yours truly. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, December 19th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a awesome week. Stay safe. Have fun with whatever you're doing. Enjoy this holiday season. You know, Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy everything to all of you out there. And I'll talk to you guys again, same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.